Hi, I'm George Strayton, screenwriter of Hercules and Xena Warrior Princess, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. And today we chat with the cast and crew of fantasy comedy web series Standard Action. We're joined by producer and actress Joanna Gaskell, actor Edwin Perez, actress Tara Pratt, and director Rob Hunt. Plus, a bonus interview with Megan Rath, who plays Sally on SciFi's Being Human. The Standard Action cast and crew tell us how they came up with this very funny series. We also learn some behind-the-scenes stories and what to expect from Season 2, which recently began. They also give tips on web series filming and their experience in creating in this new frontier of independent television. Plus, Mark's got the opportunity to speak again with actress Megan Rath, who plays Sally from Sci-Fi Channel's Being Human. That's the North American Being Human. Uh, <laughs> she discusses her views on her character's huge changes and the new direction this season. Now, what you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song of our web series, Reality On Demand, a song composed and performed by our friend T-Sean Harding. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now, let's get started with our featured interview with the cast and crew of Standard Action. Well, you're listening to Genre Entertainment, and this is Marks. And Julie. And today we're speaking to the cast and crew of Standard Action. Yes. So could everyone uh, please introduce themselves? I'm Rob Hunt. I'm the director, and I do a lot of the post-production for Standard Action. I'm Tara Pratt, and I play Guinevere. I'm Joanna Gaskell, and I'm the producer and the writer, and I play Etta the Barbarian. I'm Edwin Perez, and I play Fernando, as well as I'm an associate producer on the show. And can you tell us... For those who may have not watched Standard Action yet, uh, what the show is about. What to expect. Yes. Sure. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's about four misfit adventurers in a fantasy comedy setting. They don't particularly fit in into the adventuring society. They find each other and they set out on a quest that, uh, that ends up getting a lot more epic that they can handle and they get in a little bit over their heads. It's heavily inspired by a lot of different, um, a lot of different nerdity, really. So there's a lot of references to Lord of the Rings and Dungeons and Dragons and uh, and you know Doctor Who and Star Wars and all that stuff in there. And and we're we're very much a fan series. I like to think of it as the tone and camp of Hercules' legendary journeys, <laughs> but then the content of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We sound epic. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> No pressure or anything. <laughs> Don't see The Hobbit. Watch our show. <laughs> Just as good. But it's not three hours long. So. <laughs> yeah. I haven't figured out how that's going to be three movies. <laughs> Actually, our, our first season was three hours. Just <laughs> funny. <laughs> we had uh, 14 episodes in our first season, and we came in at just under three hours of content. So. Wow. I know that, actually. Yeah, I know. Doesn't that sound Amazing. impressive? Yeah. We have three of the four cast. I believe, of the main cast. Could you each of you explain who your character is? Okay, we'll start with me. Uh, so I'm Guinevere. Now, um, my name is actually Wendy. So in, some insight into my character is that I just can't stand that I'm considered, say, lower class and that I went to school and really struggled. So I want to leave all that behind. And I call myself Guinevere. And I like to put on airs about being a sorceress who's possibly, you know, I think I'm much more capable than I actually am. And the people I associate with in the show, I don't want to be associating with. Like, I'm, I'm very, I'm very snobby. But that's my character. I'd like to think she kind of grows over season one, kind of gets a heart and gets a little wiser. Uh, yeah, and that's me. Um, Edda. Edda is a barbarian elf. Now, if anybody who's ever played any sort of role-playing games, usually elf is kind of the race you don't choose to be a barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> because Edda is is skinny and small and little and uh, and loves to be fierce and thinks she's a whole lot bigger and scarier than she actually is. She has a, a pretty low intelligence, so she's she's kind of dumb, gets to be a bit of the clown of the group, which is a lot of fun for me. Yeah, and uh, there's been a few hints sort of in first season that she has done a lot more in her past than she's ever let on, and she's uh, about 400 years old. I don't know. I think she's a little scary. She's pretty badass. <laughs> you can take an eye out with one of those ears. <laughs> and uh, I play uh, Fernando. Fernando is the bard of the group. He is the ultimate optimist, I suppose. I mean, I 
everything is an adventure. Everything's a chance to find uh, honor and glory and and be an epic hero. That's sort of what what he uh, what he likes to do. Encourage the party, play wonderful tunes that make everybody epic loves. Speeches. Make epic speeches. <laughs> Much to my chagrin, most uh, of the time. <laughs> he loves traveling merchants. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I play, I play. Yes, as the, the bard of the group. Mm-hmm. This is almost like some kind of new subgenre, almost where we're having a lot of comedies that are. Uh, role-playing game related, yeah. you know, with Journey Quest and other ones out there. And Standard Action is definitely one of the, the most popular ones. I don't know where you fell in historically, you know, with if you're before Journey Quest or after them, or they totally weren't even influenced by them all. But but what influenced the creation of Standard Action? Um, Rob, do you want to tell that story about how you got me into D&D? <laughs> <laughs> um, Come join I, uh... <laughs> Me and Joanna met like about seven years ago and uh, I wanted her, when we started dating, I was like, oh, you're an actor. You're totally going to love this Dungeons and Dragons thing. (laughs) And so we got her over to my friend's house and we showed her Gamers the Movie, which was made by the dead gentlemen who now make Journey Quest. We unfortunately didn't know about Journey Quest and we'd already made the pilot and we watched it and it was like, oh crap, these guys are really good. <laughs> we didn't know they made a web series or we might have done something else. Um, yeah, we just filmed episode zero, which was our teaser episode for season one. It ended up being episode 6.5, so it sort of sits in the middle of the first season. And we just filmed it, we'd done it all in a really day, good. we were feeling really good about it, and then we discovered Journey Quest online and we're like, oh. Oh, <laughs> good. I want... I want a wizard in ours. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the people from Journey Quest are amazing. Actually, we we started watching their stuff and then we started sort of we we reached out to them and they reached out back to us and now we've had we have this really great relationship with them. They're called Zombie Orpheus Entertainment now and we're actually partners with them on a bunch of different projects. So, we've actually sort of joined the fold with the Dead Gentlemen and at the time it was really cool for us because they were celebrities to us. Yeah, I we mean, we managed to pull in the druid from or sorry, the cleric from Journey Quest. Yeah. The undead cleric is the voice of the spoon of positive reinforcement <laughs> in our series, and he did an amazing job. Like that's the that's the episode zero of season two, and it's it's really worth a watch. Yeah, that was very funny. I loved that. <laughs> I felt so. Yeah, that's that's Brian Lewis. <laughs> Now, what was your reaction to, you know, he was like, you'll love Dungeons and Dragons. What did you really think when you first started? You know what? Completely, honestly, I loved it right from the beginning. Because as an actor, it's like being able to take a character and explore them without having any structure. So you don't have a director telling you where to go. I mean, the DM, to a certain extent, tells you, you know, what you see and that kind of thing. But you get to choose exactly where you want to take a character. So I immediately, I immediately fell in love with it. And I've been playing... D&D ever since, I guess, yeah, seven years. It's like improv. It's great. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's like pure character development. It's awesome. Yeah. I got her into World of Warcraft at the same time, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's more addictive and less character development. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> so why the title? Standard action. I think that's in that a reference to What of your options, rules, yeah. Options and rules. Um, yeah, I mean, well, standard action is a, is a D&D term. And there were a lot of different choices for the title for the series, actually. Um, my first choice was uh, three and a half, because we were three humans, or three three full-size characters, and then a halfling, because Fernando, Fernando's character is a, a half-halfling. Um, so originally it was it was three and a half, but... Or three and three quarters if he's a half-halfling. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't have quite worked. Technicalities. So it's a, it's a good thing that I didn't get... No, the only reason I didn't pick it, actually, was because the URL was taken. Um, <laughs> and then, I yeah, standard action was... Since it, it's a direct a direct link to Dungeons & Dragons, and it's um, it was actually pretty... It's pretty illustrative of what the party is or what they were when they first started out which is standard like there's <laughs> there's nothing particularly special about this party if you put them together in a group they can get by but <laughs> any one of them on their own is going to die really quickly i'd say we're special in in like the short bus definition <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yay we are for mediocrity <laughs> We could have called ourselves like the short carriage because it's <laughs> So why a web series? Whenever you guys came up with the concept, uh, why not do a movie like Gamers was back then? Uh, why did you decide to dive into web television? Well, um, Rob, you actually did a couple of feature films already. <laughs> yeah. 
there's a lot of psychology in doing in indie filmmaking when you don't have any money and you just have to count on like goodwill and people wanting to show up. And we paid our like Joanna paid a people for standard action a small amount, but shooting a movie, you shoot like, you know, 20 days or in an indie like no budget situation, you shoot over like 10 weekends on 3 months and there's not a lot of feedback, like you don't go through the whole process of of post production. Uh, and it just, yeah, it seemed like it was very difficult and like we lost actors midway through one of the movie shoots. So we had to rewrite the script and I was never really happy with it after that. So with a web series, it's like modular. You, you can do like an episode and you don't have to plan too far in advance, or at least it's, it's a lot more fluid and organic. And uh, we definitely found with our first season, things like releasing episodes and then shooting again, people get really excited and, and jazzed up about showing up and, and they start bringing new ideas to the table because they're thinking about it in their own time a lot more. Hmm. Also, one of the big things that we that I wanted to do anyway when we first started out with Standard Action was really showcase all of us. And movies, yeah, they take so much time in post-production. And one of the things that we could do with the web series was really, really quickly you know, turn it around, put it together, make it look great, put it up, and then everybody could see it within a really short period of time. So that, that way, all of our actors got great exposure really, really quickly. We got our camera people could show off what they could do. Our post-production, you know, special effects, we could show off the stuff. We had a makeup artist who was really excited about building monsters. So we're like, yeah, okay, go build some hobgoblins. She'd build some hobgoblins. We'd put them up and they'd be up in three weeks. And then she could show that to people who maybe could pay her better for her next job. So that was a big thing with us, is we really wanted to showcase, and web series was a great medium for that. Yeah, we didn't really, we didn't really set out making a web series either. It was more like we were just going to make some short films that were connected that featured all our people. And one of our other goals was even just to make portfolio work for our actors, like Edwin and Tara and Joanna, who I think some of them needed agents at the time. Yeah. So, so it sounds like not so much guerrilla filming, but kind of like what we've been in the past, more of a kind of get by with a little help from our friends <laughs> style of filming. Was there a lot of support amongst sort of any filmmaking community or just people that you knew helping you get this done? We have a very small crew of about eight to 10 people. And those people are amazing. I like those people are, are absolute treasures and, and amazing. Like they're just awesome. But like in general and overall, I, I don't know, actually. I I've, Sometimes we've discussed that, you know, maybe Vancouver isn't the best place if you don't have a budget because it's geared towards bigger stuff. But that may just be me. <laughs> yeah, we um, we pulled in as many people as we could. And we were very, very lucky in first season. We ended up with, yeah, like Rob said, brilliant people. And, you know, I tried to pay them a little bit to, to make them stick around. But to be honest, when you have really good, dedicated people, it doesn't matter if you're paying them or not. They're going to keep coming back and they're going to keep giving good work. So we, we got very lucky that way. There isn't really a web series community in Vancouver that is particularly cohesive. Like there's there's a bunch of different web series that make stuff, but it doesn't really feel like we've got, we don't really get together and share resources. We're trying. That's a few of the people, a few of the creators in Vancouver were trying to get together and talk about um, sharing resources and, and uh, sharing our stuff and, and helping out with marketing and that kind of thing. Um, it hasn't really happened yet, but we're, yeah, we're pushing. I mean, now that we think about it, there have been some people who've been helpful, like like Nicholas Humphreys from Reese. Mm -hmm. He's been very supportive of us and brought us in to speak to some of his students at uh, VFS, actually. And Mary Higgins from Mind My, My Brains, dear, she's been yeah. wonderful. Her and her husband Paul. Yep. They even they were even extras on one of our our second season episodes. So I guess yeah, I like that. There have been some people that have been really amazing. But the thing is, like at the beginning of. We all, everybody in the crew, I mean, we were only eight or so to begin with, everybody multitasked. I mean, I did costuming for the first uh, few episodes, and then we, we managed to get Vanessa, who's our now our leads in costumes. And, um, yeah, we just, everybody had to take on more roles uh, to get the job done. And we did luck out that everybody was really into it and really wanted to do it. But I think as far as the community here for web series, I think everybody's geared towards big budget movies. Everybody wants to... Everybody's got a script, you know, somewhere. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm saving it because I want to make a movie. I want to make a movie. Or a pilot. Or a pilot, or a pilot yeah. yeah. Everybody wants to make a pilot. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of the attitude that everybody has here. They're like, almost like they don't take the web, the web series seriously. I don't know if that's, that's true or not, but everybody wants 
the TV spot. They want the TV show or the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, nobody's really figured out how to market web series yet. I mean, nobody's figured out how to make money out of web series mm-hmm. yet. And so a lot of people, since it's such a long game for web series, mm-hmm. they don't see the immediate paycheck that they could get out of a, a popular pilot or, or a film. Yeah, it's, it's still true. a pioneering pioneering field. It's like the it, Wild West. It is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, we sound so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> like pilgrims. I want I a sombrero. Cool I, I want a sombrero. Cool yeah. I think the sombrero goes <laughs> engine. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you should totally have, have have someone wearing a sombrero in the next season. <laughs> There's so many ideas that we you haven't been able to yeah. use. Yeah. Just like, totally. you know, you never know. 10 minute episodes. There's so many ideas that we get that we're not able to utilize because oh, otherwise we'd have... Oh, our biggest oh, yeah. dream would be our biggest dream would be able to make like twenty five minute episodes. Like that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be like my dream come true. A full season of like TV length half hour yeah. episodes, so like yeah. a twenty two minute episode, and do a full season of them. Oh man, that would be amazing. One day, so fun. <laughs> so I'm curious. You were talking about how you film your first season. You seem to do it in in chunks, different episodes as you went. Uh, so can you explain a little bit how you did film that? Like how many episodes did you film? and then stop and then film again. We filmed really, really dynamically. Like Rob was saying earlier, what what we tended to do was sort of film a bit and then write as we went. We only filmed on weekends, so there was no sort of block shooting involved. Um, I'd only written the first four scripts when we started actually filming. Um, then we got to the end of the first four and then I sort of looked at what the actors had done with their characters and figured out what I liked and what I didn't like and, and where to take the story from there. I mean, I sort of generally knew where the story was going. I knew where I needed to get to, but the actual path was, yeah, it was it was heavily inspired by what we were doing and what now worked. and what worked and who we had out, like who, who came to the set and gave some amazing stuff. Like we had some people who came out and just did like one line roles that, just blew me away and I'm like all right we're gonna bring you back and we're gonna make your role bigger and we're gonna bring you back for second season and and yeah I mean it was it was really nice because it it grew like yeah it grew organically over the course of the season there were some of the characters went places I had no idea they were going to go when we started. It was just like a, a real Dungeons and Dragons game. It was actually. <laughs> yeah because we filmed like every other week like when Joanna says we filmed on weekends that's that's a bit of a misleading because we would only film one day out of weekends. Yeah. Like we know other filmmakers who shoot for like three days solid for 20 hours a day and you know, more power to them. That's a way to get stuff done. But we would shoot for like 12 hours, maybe every two weeks. We do that for like two or three months and get or about two months. Then we took like a month off and then Joanna would have new scripts and we got back into it. And I, that would be really cool to try again. Cause I think that worked really well. And didn't we correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't we shoot like every, you know, other Saturday or Sunday was one episode until one day. Is it because we got totally rained out that we started shooting, shooting half episodes? Yeah. Is it that was, why it happened? Yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. So we, we, we got locations. half off. Yeah. Yeah. We, we basically shot it. We, well, we kept shooting an episode's worth of content in a day. So right. we'd shoot a, a 10 to 12 minute episode in a single shoot day which by professional standards is incredibly fast. But yeah, we, we got rained <laughs> out one day and so we ended up shooting sort of off kilter. But we pretty That's much, over. yeah, we pretty much did like, it ended up being during most of first season that we'd shoot, edit, release within a three week period. So it was sort of three weeks from when we were, uh, we were rolling cameras to when the episode was up online. So wait a second, it rains in Vancouver? No, I know, right? We were so surprised. I, I wouldn't have seen it coming. <laughs> now, oh my god, uh, if you have to watch season one, you should... Yeah. It's like raining every there episode. Are, I noticed. Oh. <laughs> it was snowing on Tara's first day. Yeah. Wow. That's production value, though, snow. It totally was. Yeah. It, it looked is. gorgeous. Now, for all That's the actors my... here, um, how did you all get your parts? Oh. <laughs> wow, I didn't realize that was going well, to be a stumper. <laughs> the things I had to do. We don't um, talk about that. Actually, um, Oh, no, I if was, there's a casting couch, please I, do not explain. I, I, <laughs> oh, okay, well, that ends my story. <laughs> I was actually working on uh, one of Rob's uh, films. When the um, the idea for the web series came up, uh, Joanna had written the scripts, and I, I just sort of said, "Send them my way. I'd love to, to read them because I play Dungeons and Dragons, and I and I have for a, for a long time. I've always wanted to be involved. At the time, I was really into web series. I really, I mean, I still am, but I was like, I wasn't working on anything like that, and I really wanted to be part of something like it. 
That was right at the beginning, too. That was, there yeah. wasn't much going on then. Yeah. And so I read the scripts and I said, this is great. Let's, can we do something? Can I be part of it? I jumped on board for costuming uh, with episode zero. And I have a background, a bit of a background in, in um, sewing and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and I loved making costumes for Halloween and all that. And I always go pretty elaborate. So I jumped on board to do that stuff. And that's sort of where it all kind of started for me. Yeah, and then we, um, so I, I actually hadn't even written the character for, I hadn't written Fernando yet at all until um, Edwin said he was going to be on board, and then we wrote the bard for him. <laughs> 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 and then we started holding auditions. And we did that after we filmed our pilot. Yeah, Ooh. true, yeah, we yeah. filmed the pilot. So that and we could show people the pilot. Yeah, yeah the actually. pilot just has Edda and Fernando in it as out of the leads. It's also got a couple extra, or one extra character, but... Um, after we filmed that, then we held auditions for the two other characters. So the druid, Martin, and, uh, and Tara's character. Um, yeah, you came out to the audition. <laughs> and that's where I came in. And I just yeah. and it was a straight-up audition. I hadn't met Joanna, Rob, or Edwin at that point at all. Um, I just saw the, the posting on Vancouver Actors Guide. And I just came out. And I believe one of the prerequisites <laughs> when I first auditioned was, am I a nerd? <laughs> and I said, you know, in, um, yes, with, um, you know, this... I'm going to preempt that by saying that I am not a nerd in terms of D&D. I'm the layman of the group, myself and DJ, yeah. um, we do, who plays Martin. We don't play Dungeons and Dragons. This world is completely foreign to us. So I said, that, but I'm totally you know, willing to, to learn and you can explain all the jokes to me. And that's awesome. I nerd out over uh, like science fiction. I Tonight, even I nerded out over Next Generation. So like Star <laughs> Trek, you know, things like that. So I am a nerd. I get nerd culture. It's just like a different sect. Yeah. <laughs> so I asked I asked Joanna, I'm like, would this suffice for hopefully coming on with standard action? And I believe Joe wanted uh, a blonde. Yeah. For yeah, we, we like we specifically because... didn't want a brunette because Joanna's a brunette. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But blonde yeah. or redhead, we thought. <laughs> but we yeah, we brought Tara out to the audition and she was awesome. So we She did know. show up in a Star Trek uniform. <laughs> right. No, so I was like, does this do it? <laughs> Which Star Trek? The original, Next Generation? Next Generation. Okay. I was saying to these guys, like, I'm getting old. I'm looking forward to going home and just having my Earl Grey tea. My, sorry, Amen. my tea is very hot. <laughs> you say it to your microwave enough times. <laughs> I drank a lot of that when I was up there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I go home, I'm, I'm getting out of my wet clothes and I'm... Drinking some yep. hot tea. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and and, and Rakia. <laughs> with casting, actually, we've uh, we've actually leaned a lot in the last little while with some of our major casting towards doing a lot of auditioning on tape. Uh, we've been doing that a lot, instead of asking for a first call on tape, which is uh, which is cool. It's it's a really interesting way of doing it. You know, it saves you the money of renting the space. Yeah, you get some interesting stuff. Yeah. One of the interesting choices I noticed that we noticed in, in the, the web series was that you use game references in story. like Yeah, which is funny. <laughs> like actual, like, my intelligence is 14. Or, you know, or, or statistically, if your intelligence is higher than 14, higher than 14 you'll, never you're not, you'll never be happy. And we were, we were I almost had a pause on that. It was so funny. <laughs> so what was the decision behind that to have that little, uh, little meta feel to it? It actually used to be a lot heavier on the game references in the first couple drafts of the script. <laughs> But Rob, uh, I, his opinion of it was that I might alienate people if I was a little bit too heavy on the game references. So basically what it is, is we always, in every episode, in every script, in every character, there's always that element of self-awareness mm -hmm. and that, that feeling that this is not a fantasy show. These, these kids are in the game. Like they are, in, they are in a game world. It's not like a classic high fantasy world. There's that, always that feeling of, um, anachronism, like the uh, the druid wears converses. Uh, we've got references to things that people who were living in the Middle Ages would never ever know, and that's because we don't want it to feel like it's a period piece. It's actually a game world, and so they can make those little references and they can poke fun at the uh, at the world and at themselves, and it feels just a little bit self conscious, and it makes us really different actually. In a lot of the other sort of fantasy comedies and game based web series that you watch. It doesn't really have that element. Um, it's still funny and it's still hilarious and it still calls on those those nerdy references. But the way we do it, we we bring it out just a little bit more. And and I like the way that that's that that's grown. And I think people appreciate it. 
part of my big argument for taking a lot of the numbers out of it is originally some of the drafts did have a lot of like ability scores being mentioned. Me and Edwin had been watching a hell of a lot of Lord of the Rings extended cuts with commentaries to try and figure out tricks or how they you know did stuff for such a great fantasy movie. And they talked a lot about how Tolkien really wanted to write his stuff to be very accessible and how he didn't involve a lot of Christianity and God stuff in his because he didn't want that to interfere with people enjoying his work. So those were the pitches I made for Joanna, and they seem to work, because if Tolkien does it, then <laughs> yeah. Joanna's work. <laughs> it's the kind master. of hard to argue with Tolkien, you know? <laughs> well, that's also a tricky thing, is that writing that fine line, right? Because, yes, everybody who's in that in that environment, in that world, will get it. They, You know, all the Dungeons & Dragons players, everybody will understand it. But you're always trying to appeal to a broader audience and try to introduce people to that world and maybe you you know you get somebody who doesn't know anything about it and gets into it and suddenly they're playing Dungeons and Dragons and, and doing all that kind of stuff and so that's you know that's always a nice thing to do to be able to appeal to to a broader audience that way so Rob so you guys shoot like an episode of content every every day you film which is pretty amazing yay so as the director how do you pull that off? You're well, he probably pulls out his hair half the time. Yeah. <laughs> and yells at us. If, if, if for any indication, that's what directors do. <laughs> I'm actually old now. <laughs> I, know, I know he's getting stressed out when his hair starts sticking straight out from his head. You know? <laughs> like, rough day? <laughs> so what, what tricks do you do to try to, to make sure you get that amount of content done in one day? I've made it a point to learn every piece of equipment I use. I could probably operate every single one of them in the dark or with my eyes closed. We had to do that for our first season because we got a lot of people coming on who'd never used stuff. We were like, you know, our art director's like, I like photography. I'm like, great, you're a camera person. Here's a camera. This is how you work it. Uh, and our, our sound guy for first season was like, you know, like an electrical engineer who was like hoping to get into acting and was willing to show up and help. So I was like, sweet, you can learn how to use the Zoom. Here it is. This is how it works. Now, we what show cameras up... did you use? Pardon? What cameras did you use? We used Canon T2Is, the cheapest DSLRs out there that do HD. Mm-hmm. For second season, we got a few. We got. A, I bought a T3i and then eventually a T4i for myself, so I have quite a few little cameras around. All um, right, we and, got over equipment. <laughs> <laughs> well, Canons are good, though. Yeah. We should we get some good uh, glass for them? Yeah, I mean, we've got, like, the nice 50 millilitres fast, which is great for the woods. Uh, another trick we do is that, like, when we're going to shoot on Saturday... I would be like charging camera batteries and wiping memory cards on Thursday night, making sure we have everything. So I wasn't, you know, some of the experience levels or familiarity of our camera people were such that I like to really come in the morning with uh, all the cameras to have fresh batteries and empty memory cards on them ready to go. That would really help a lot. We've also gotten very good at being flexible about shooting. I've had to give up doing storyboards when we shoot in the forest because I'll do some great planning and it'll be all ready to go. And then guys start playing paintballs like 100 feet away. So or there'll we, be an amazing stump that we didn't know was there. Yeah. <laughs> so let's use we can it. Get so in it. We'll just like re-block the whole thing and just go with it. Yeah, we also film a lot of our scenes uh, a lot like theater. Yeah. So um, we'll run the wide first. So run the whole wide all the way through from beginning to end. And actually, a few of our guest stars that we brought on later later in the filming were kind of concerned about the fact that they had to know all of the lines from the beginning <laughs> of the scene yeah. to the end. That's funny. But we have a lot of people that we bring on who are from theater. So you run them through it. And then uh, and then basically, instead of having to, on a professional set, what you'll often have is sort of, there'll be a camera pointed at you and you'll deliver one or two lines. And then there'll be a switch in cameras. You deliver another one or two lines somewhere else. We didn't really do it that way. Yeah, we were. And that helped. I found that improved our performances a lot and helped everyone be aware of what was going on in the scene as we'd shoot the wide and so everyone would know where they were going and what was going on and they could help make suggestions when we're trying to like get the close-ups. Another huge asset is we had two cameras and then three cameras for third season and like man, second season, season, (laughs) sorry. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) We're gonna have five cameras for third season. But yeah, having extra cameras, like, man, you just, if you have a two-person scene, you can shoot both your close-ups at once. Oh, man, that's brilliant for editing. If you have two, yeah, the two close-ups being shot at the same time, then you get, like, the continuity of performance that's brilliant. So nice. It also helps that, uh, we, like I said, we have a small crew to work with, so having less people who are able to multitask just makes everything move yeah. faster. 
I, I'm trying to organize. Not even know, having to tell people yeah. to be quiet, because that's a big one. Is sometimes shots would be, you know, you get a bigger crew and there's people off having to smoke, talking and laughing. Uh, yeah, we could move really fast too. So if all of a sudden we decided to do a scene entirely differently, it didn't take two hours to change the camera setup and the lighting. It was like 10 minutes and we're yeah. in a new spot. Pick it up, move. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I do a lot of editing. Like I do all our posts. So I'm an editor as well. And that means that on set, I can be running things in my mind and know that we need some B-roll or know kind of what's going to go on. Like, I, it's yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's very fluid. Cool. It's fun, though. It's a comedy. So I'm sure there's some fun. It is? I know. <laughs> that was a gritty drama. <laughs> That's what I was going I've been yeah, doing it all wrong. <laughs> oh, man. So I'm sure there's some funny stories that have goof-ups happen or whatever occurs, like paintball. Uh, can you share a few funny stories with us? Oh, well, Tara, do you want to tell the funny story? It's my favorite yeah, story. Yeah. Um, this is my first day of shooting. My first day of shooting, and everybody was convinced I was not coming back because... Um, so I've, you've seen the episodes. I'm in kind of a corset and a, and a cape. This is January. This is January, yeah. Um, so Fernando's character and I start out laying on the ground and we've obviously been, we've been kidnapped by hobgoblins and we're knocked unconscious. So we're laying there. And as Edwin and I are laying there, it starts <laughs> gently snowing, you know, I'm like, Oh, this is, uh, okay. This is good. All right. No, it's fine. It's, oh, it's cool. I'll work with it. The snow <laughs> starts hurting <laughs> and it starts falling harder. And, uh, it, because it's just Edwin and I in this particular shot, there's uh, Joanna with a bounce over us to kind of you know shield us from the snow and the hail so it starts snowing and hailing and meanwhile we've already shot the second half now how did we shot the second half yeah, of that episode morning. first yeah that's that involved, three yeah, yeah that involved no snow yeah mm -hmm. so suddenly it's snowing at this time that's supposed to take place before yeah that. It, you know time wise we're like okay so weather the weather might screw us all right but uh, you know even aside from that we're kind of freezing our asses off and so there's Edward and I are on the ground. We're like, okay, let's, 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 and let's insert, let's insert a line in there about, you know, what did you say? We've got to get off the mountain and get out of the snow. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah we added a line. <laughs> that would explain the snow beforehand, and now suddenly so there's now no snow. So now we're on a mountain. Okay, all right. <laughs> That's great. So, you know, you throw all that into it, and it was really cute, because, yeah, Joanna said, she's like, we were sure you weren't coming back after that, because we're lying on the ground, and we're covered in snow, and we're probably freezing. And I said, no, no, no. This is what I've wanted to do my whole life when I've been watching movies and watching people get like down and dirty and do their action scenes. I want to be raw on the ground and yeah, you know, cover me in mud. I Preferably mean... with Orlando Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> but Edwin will But you got me. Yeah. In the meantime. And he's yeah. just as good. <laughs> Orlando. <laughs> I got Fernando. Uh, Close enough. <laughs> Mr. On Orlando's half brother. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, actually another another story that I always find endearing and funny. If you watch the whole first season, there are several hobgoblins that appear over the course of the first season. There's one female hobgoblin, there's a bunch of male hobgoblins that show up. Actually, one of them in the episode that Tara was just talking about. All of them are played by the same guy. Uh, his name is Adam, and he makes music. He did some of the music for us in first season. And we, we cast a guy to play um, the final Hobgoblin in first season. And I won't spoil anything, but he's kind of important. <laughs> um, we've hired this big guy to play him, and he didn't work out. And it was the last minute that he didn't work out. So we called up Adam, and we're like, Adam, can you play this role? He's not an actor. He's a musician. We know him because he is the husband of a girl we play D&D &D yes, with. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he, every Hobgoblin you see during the entire course of the first season is the same guy with all different prosthetics on. Like Ashley, our prosthetic artist, made a bunch of different prosthetics for him. So he looks different in every scene, but it's the same dude. And the very last day that uh, he came out was a big epic fight scene between my character and his character. And it was... I mean, if you used to live in Vancouver, you may know Sawasin. Sawasin is way down on the delta. It's flat. It's open. There really aren't very many trees. And it is really hot in summer. So it was June. And we were filming this, this suit with, with Adam in his full-on hobgoblin makeup. And it got to the point where I think it was about, it was probably about 30 degrees, which is really hot for Vancouver. And his the gelatin that made up his prosthetic started to melt. We were using gelatin instead of uh, something else because we it had was no cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it actually started to melt, but it didn't melt from the outside. It melted from the inside. 
So the inside of his prosthetic was like running off of his face and like coming out through little holes in his prosthetic mask. <laughs> so we had to take him back to our uh, our home base, which was one of our sound guys' houses, and stick his head in the freezer and feed him like fudgical after fudgical after and fudgical ice cream sandwiches. and ice cream sandwiches to try and cool down his poor <laughs> body temperature so that he could keep the prosthetic on. Oh, man. That was a crazy day. I talked to him about that after, too, and I was like, so did the ice cream sandwiches help? He's like, no, but they tasted good. <laughs> <laughs> I just love there's so many in in our um outtakes episodes there's so many takes of us you know Rob calls action and we're looking around as we you hear dirt bikes in the distance and we kind of look at the camera we're like are we still gonna go for me there was one there was one I can't remember what episode it was on but I remember sitting there and it's me and Tara and we're we're having this discussion and I think it's after We've escaped from is this in the, the mountain. No, oh. we've escaped from the mountain. We're, right. we're okay. somewhere, anyways. I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, I'm having one of these moments where my character goes off on some speech and I'm talking to her. And during one of the takes, I'm looking at her. I'm like, she's really thinking really hard about something. I'm like, I can see it in her eyes. And I'm like, maybe I'm doing a really great job as an actor. Later on, I found out that she was staring at this, I think it was a spider, spider. or something, that <laughs> had started crawling down my neck and I felt this little tickle, but I it didn't. Was so I was like really focused on getting this speech out. And so I didn't know, you know, that this was going on, but you know, I could see it register in her face. And I'm like, I'm really, I'm really delivering this really well. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, even, no. What's even more hilarious about that is second, like be, just before that, when I I'd, I'd messed up a take because that spider was on my hand and I just flung myself up. You know, I stood up, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, a spider. Sorry, sorry, it can be cut. And so I flung my hand, and then we did another take, and it was there fine. It is on and then the next take, I look over, and if you watch that episode... It made it in. It made it in. So my reaction, I look, I'll, there's a brief second where I look over at Edwin, and I just recoil in horror, because I can see the spider on his neck. It was awesome. And I didn't even know that until after, and you watched it, and you're like, oh my god, that's the take. That was awesome. So did you give the spider credit for the episode? No, you know what? He wouldn't sign the paperwork. So. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, that's always the name. They act like, I have eight legs, but I still can't sign my name. Yeah, it's eight legs. I swear. <laughs> All right, well, we have a lot of people uh, who are like independent filmmakers who want to make web series that listen to our show. A lot of times we ask creators if they can give tips, like, like a big do or don't, for people who might be thinking about doing web series. Well, From your wealth of wisdom of, of, <laughs> your own, of making your own web series. So what would be your top do's and don'ts? Um, well, my, my big one really is, um, is to do it. I know that sounds really simplistic, but to be honest, it's really true. Like what happens a lot of the time with a lot of people that I meet who have these really fantastic ideas and they write these scripts and they're really excited about them. And that's all that they ever do. Like that's how, that's how far it goes because they, they get really afraid about taking that first step and about moving forward into something and they're afraid that it's not going to be perfect and they're afraid that it's not going to be what they pictured in their head and it's, it's going to go wrong and, and, and they're going to, you know, break their hearts on this thing that they're dreaming about. Well, I'm here to tell you <laughs> that it's never going to be perfect and it's never going to be the way that you, with the way that you picture in your head is never going to be what you see on the screen because it never turns out that way. There's way too many random elements. You don't have enough money to make it the way you want it to make. It, it just, but if you go out and you do it and you get it done, that means that next time it's going to be better and you'll have learned so much from the first time around. And probably with the, if, if you have that much passion about it, you're going to end up with something that you can be proud of, whether or not it's, you know, your dream project or not. I think that's the big piece of advice that I have for people is to don't be afraid to try because all you can do is learn. And if you fail, well, everybody fails. So don't worry about it. I mean, just just keep going. If you're actually a filmmaker, yeah, just just make stuff. I would say work with a small, dedicated crew because if you if you suddenly start, you know, making this gigantic crew, chances are people are going to drop out. You know, it, there's going to be a lot of lag time between organizing people or trying to book days when you can film. You know, so keeping a small crew that that you can rely on and work with on a regular basis is yeah, it, it makes it much simpler. Uh, and keep keep the things that you make simple. I know it's like we we've created a fantasy world, but when we started, everything was 
we try to keep it as simple as we could because you uh, when you're trying to create something you want to go so elaborate and you want to go so big like Joanna was saying and most of the time it's going to fall short of what it is in your imagination because you don't have the budget for it right so just keep it simple and get a small crew and see what you can make I would say if I, if I can speak from an acting standpoint really choose projects that you know you'll be proud of because if you're an actor of integrity or perform of integrity you want to honor your commitments and I'm not saying this happened on this set I, I don't it, you know for with our us leads I don't think it happened at all but we're talking a lot about people dropping out and I know that you have to be prepared for that but it, it just sucks that that is an eventuality in most projects and it's just like you know what no if you like make your commit commitment from the beginning and choose what you really want to do and say to yourself, yeah, I like these people are doing and I want to follow it through to the end. Um, not only are you going to create something really wonderful that you'll be proud of and everybody else will be really uh, grateful that you've, you've pulled everything together and, and that you've, um, and like not yourself obviously, but you've been there from the beginning. They've been able to rely on you and you've gone forward. Um, but then at the end, you'll help, like you're self-promoting easily because you're you've got something that you're proud of. Like it's just easy all around to just say, yeah, I'm here from the beginning, and I'm just gonna stick with it and have fun, and I'm proud of it. From a few technical points, I think that directors nowadays really need to learn all the roles on their set. I'm pretty good at camera. I'm really good at camera. I've done it a lot. I've done videography, but even now on second season, we had to bring in other people to do camera because I, I've got to focus on directing. But I also know how to do sound and run a boom mic and run our audio stuff. I know how to do all the post-production. And I have found that so valuable in planning and understanding what is a cheap shot. Like I've done, I've written feature scripts and then filmed them and edited them. And I know what, what like do's and don'ts. I know all of it instinctually. Like uh, I know more things than I know how to vocalize. Another, uh, like I agree with a lot what Edwin said is using a small crew simply because like you don't really want to be spending all your time trying to organize people. You want to be out there making film. Personally, as a director, when I talk to other directors, I admit that filming like stuff that's campy comedy is a lot easier than like horror or romance, simply because, you know, to be horror, it needs to be scary. And like, that's really hard. Whereas comedy, you know, they're a lot more forgiving if it doesn't look quite real or, or it's not quite perfect. As long as they're laughing or getting a few laughs, then it's good. Uh, another thing I think is it's really important to make things you like in your spare time because like for this, you know, I love I love D&D. I've been able to meet other people who make web series that I'm a fan of. And that's really inspiring to me, meeting all those zombie Orpheus guys and Ben Dobbins and Brian Lewis and them. That stuff really helps. And, and then like I'm making standard action for me and I'm making it for something I like. And it's just it seems like it works a lot better and becomes more popular than if I'm trying to make something that other people will like. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. We, we made it for us and we were amazed at the people who came forward and loved it with us, mm -hmm. which is great. And I guess one last thing is if you want to be a director or a filmmaker, buy a cheap DSLR camera and start screwing around. I started making music videos because you don't have to do any audio for them and like it's just you learn so much and I meet directors who don't own a camera and I'm like, it's 400 bucks. Like, <laughs> why, what are you doing? <laughs> I would say get yourself a Joanna. They're pretty yeah. useful. Yeah. Yeah. They're Just buy yourself a Joanna have... and that's it. Can, can you rent one of those or lease? I know, do it with your yeah, hey. for, for a price. Yeah. Oh, does that come with, with like, is there a travel package involved? And uh, <laughs> Actually, interesting. interestingly enough, listening to Tara talk about it from a performer's point of view, from a performer's point of view, actually, I would recommend that any actor if you're trying to actually make a career out of being an actor, really think about taking on some roles behind the camera or in a writing or a producing sense, because you will learn so much about the process. Yep. <laughs> Just sitting on the other side of that casting table, oh my mm -hmm, goodness, mm -hmm. you learn so much about what to do and what not to do and what you want to see. And really, casting directors really do all want you to succeed. <laughs> we really do, it's the truth. <laughs> Something like also editing. I have learned so much about being an actor by learning to edit. Because if you learn how the final product is stitched together, you learn what you can get away with on screen, what will work, what will make the camera happy, what will make the editor happy, you know, all that stuff. It's There's just so much to learn if you decide to take on other roles than just being a performer. Yeah, I meet actors who spend a lot, like we've worked with actors who spend a lot of time like, what's my motivation? You know, what's my character this? But then like, they don't know how to cheat towards camera. Like, <laughs> yeah. whoa, like that, that little skill is a lot more valuable than giving a crap about your character's motivations. <laughs> well, the holistic approach really is good. I mean, 
not just for, you know, smaller productions, but, you know, it always, I think it always helps everybody do their job well when they at least understand a little bit and respect the job that other people are doing because, you know, everybody is trying to get this done and done well, you know, so regardless of what your role is, it it always helps to have people around that can appreciate what everyone else is doing, not just what they are. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes like me learning how to do sound. I love sound guys that much more. <laughs> like, wow, they're doing such an amazing and important job and it hurts. It's <laughs> a technical job, but they get, they're dealing with some really rough physical conditions doing sound. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and they're so unappreciated well, on yeah. every set. Yeah. Sound guys are like the least appreciated guy. You only ever hear about it when they did their job badly. Yeah. That's true. So every corner, Christian Bale. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really, it's really important. If you can't hear what's going on, I mean, it's there's no point Absolutely. watching it. And I meet directors who know, like, don't know, don't ever consider sound. Like, I know I've done enough sound where I know to cut when an airplane goes directly overhead. <laughs> and I meet directors who are like, what? That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, dragons sound like planes. Well, we did learn you can get rid of the sound of a cicada, but yeah, it, sure. we'll be filming. And and they're so loud. One cicada will be so loud. You actually have to scream to talk. So if you can get the actors to not scream over the cicada, you can yeah. take that sound out. Oh, I cannot believe one little thing can make that much. It sounds like a jet going over your head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you did a Kickstarter for season two, is that right? An Indiegogo, yeah. Indiegogo. Uh, Same sort of thing, like Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You're in Canada, so you can't do Kickstarter. For an Indiegogo campaign, because I know that's getting very popular for web series on, on raising the funds through crowdfunding. Is there any tip you would share with that? Oh, God, yeah. Okay, well, first of all, crowdsource campaigns are so much work like don't ugh, oh my goodness it's it's always going to be a ridiculous amount of work and if you're not working hard every single day that it's up you're not doing it right <laughs> if you don't have a video to launch every week even if it's just like you shot six of them in one day then they're all 30 seconds long you're not like yeah that's why you want a camera and you're a filmmaker you know and i see people with web series who have kickstarters and they don't make any videos for it it's like that's kind of weird <laughs> yeah, you can't really just sit back and wait for it to succeed um, one of the, I think actually the only reason that we did succeed in our Indiegogo campaign was the fact that we had a lot of content up already. It's really difficult to succeed in a crowdsource fundraiser if you don't have a lot of content out because people really want to see what you're what you're doing. They want to see what you can do. If all you have is sort of you speaking into a camera, unless you've got some really big names attached to your project, it's going to be difficult for you to succeed. I've I've really I don't. I don't know if I've ever seen a project that's tried to do a Kickstarter that doesn't have any content out and it's just talking about an idea and actually succeeds in, in a large number, unless they've got you know somebody attached to them who's huge. It's I've I've read that it has to do with like why famous people attached to crowdsource fundraising projects make them succeed more is because uh, the people's belief that it will succeed is is higher that they will if they get the money they will actually be able to deliver something and i've realized if you're if you're a nobody and you're like oh give me you know give me twenty thousand to make my web series if you already have 13 episodes out and you're just releasing like a video every week about the kickstarter and you're releasing interviews with the cast people are going to look at that and be like wow this guy's actually you know makes video he's serious about it yeah yeah, like he's doing a lot of it it's not something that's beyond their skills or that like the planets need to align for it to happen yeah, and they, they know that their money's not going to be wasted. Um, one of the things with Kickstarter, actually, is that with Kickstarter, you don't get your total unless you make the whole total. Whereas with Indiegogo, you get whatever it is that people pledge. So, and, and in a way, that's almost harder because that means that if somebody gives you $50, they're giving away that $50. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't succeed, they've given that away. So they kind of have to know that you're going to make something. Like people really don't want to throw their money away. It doesn't matter how small an amount it is. They don't really want to just throw it down a hole and never see anything out of it. They need to know that you're going to make something with the money. And now you have season 2 out. I think you have one episode out at least so far and the two teaser. two episodes. Okay. Uh, how many episodes is there going to be in season 2? There's going to be 8 episodes in season 2, which is shorter than we wanted it to be, but we ran out of cash. <laughs> But it happens. <laughs> but it's okay, because it's going to be quality over quantity. Totally. Yes. Amen. <laughs> well, 
Well, great. And so where can people find Standard Action? At standardaction.com. Uh, we've got sort of everything running there. You can see the whole first season as well as a whole bunch of extras and interviews and outtakes and behind the scenes and our second season as well. Um, and our next episode is going to be launching on the 22nd of January. So that's episode two. We started with an episode zero for our season two. So we've got zero and one up there right now. Anything else anyone would like to add? We're working on a few side projects for our stuff, actually. We have a card game in the works. We I've just got the new art for that that I need to fix it up and, and upload it to the website, but then we'll have a card game that'll be uh, print-on-demand you can get. We're also, we we've, I dug up, I'm a programmer for my day job, so uh, I dug up like an old text-based BBS game, Legend of the <laughs> Green Dragon. So and, nerdy. And reskinned it so <laughs> that it's like Legend of the Lonely Dragon, which <laughs> is the name, and like Fernando's in the bar. And it's all text-based, so it's not like there's pictures, but uh, we're, we're going to be, that's like in beta on our website, and, and I want to add in more modules than that because I figured out how to embed YouTube videos in some of them. So oh. um, there'll, there'll be that stuff that's coming out that's really interesting. I'm, I'm also working with Unity, which is like a 3D game development thing. Uh, we might have something with that coming out in the next few months. We also have another, a couple really, really exciting projects that we just sort of decided on. We just uh, agreed with a, a webcomic company. They're going to be creating a standard action webcomic. Um, over the next year or so and eventually hopefully we're, we'll be at a point where we can actually make um, hard copies as well that we can sell and I'm pretty close to being 100% sure that we'll be able to create a role-playing module of standard action uh, coming up in the next couple of years. Cool. And then we also have t-shirts now are available online or a 21-sided die with a, on a black t-shirt. Yeah. Um, DVDs are up. Yeah, DVDs are up. Edward and I got um, our copies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have DVDs with commentaries up. Also, Joanna and I have a side project that we've just gone over 60 episodes now of a board game review series called Starlet Citadel Reviews. So if you like board games, you can check that out at starletcitadel.com. Yeah, so we do a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's actually one of the things that was cool about having the standard action IP, like the whole standard action world, is that really when you've got that, that wealth of content, why not make a whole bunch of other stuff? So like the role-playing module, I'm super excited about web comics, games, card games, maybe even a video game in future. Yeah. Like it's really exciting. Lunchboxes. Really, really lunchboxes. Action figures. <laughs> Oh, man. Somebody made perfume and cologne based oh, off of all our leads. They did. That was awesome. Oh, yeah. So if it's a role-playing module, what rules? You could Pathfinder? D &D? Pathfinder, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're actually planning on doing... Um, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, there was a Pathfinder module that was developed out of uh, Gamers, the second movie. Um, Mask of Death. Mask of Death. Uh, and the same guy who did that is... Uh, we're working with him to try and create... A module that will fit between season one and season two of standard action so it'll be like a module of the adventures of the party at after the the last episode of season one and before the beginning of season two um which is really exciting and yes he specializes in pathfinder so it's um yeah kevin which mickelson is, yeah kevin exciting. mickelson uh, we, and it, you know it's my favorite system right now so that's very exciting the guys at paizo are so fantastic and really friendly and, and we've spoken to them a lot we haven't so. jumped on the bandwagon me and joanna are we've been playing it since the beta pathfinder our dm got us uh, into it he's like hey i found out about this new thing that's better than 3.5 so we were playing R rise of the rune lords back when nobody knew what pathfinder was yeah it's a great it's a great evolution of 3.5 definitely yeah yeah we play pathfinder yeah so. <laughs> nice. sweet all right well it's been great talking to you guys yeah, thank you so much sure thank absolutely thank you thanks, thanks you guys Hi, I'm indie actress Jen Page from Dorkness Rising, Geek Seekers, Chopsaki Boom, and more, and you're listening to Genretainment. Thank you to Joanna, Edward, Tara, and Rob for agreeing to the interview, and we wish them luck on the second season's success. Please check out their show, and we suspect if you like it, you'll find other shows at Zombie Orpheus Entertainment that will also entertain you. I believe one of them might be called something like Reality on <laughs> Demand or something yeah, like possibly, that. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Or Aiden 5 yeah. and Journey Quest. There's a lot yeah. of great shows. Okay, so now let's get to our bonus interview with actress Megan Rath of Sci-Fi Channel's Being Human. Now for two seasons, she's played the ghost Sally, but 
let's just say things change big time in season three for her character. Now, warning, if you have not seen episode one of season three, which has recently aired, there may be some spoilers in the interview. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Mother's dead. They're all dead. Josh isn't a werewolf. We're bringing Sally back. It's getting out of control. Hi, Megan. Thanks for uh, speaking with us today. Um, Hi. So I was also going to ask a little bit about how it changes your approach with Sally this season now that you can actually physically interact and you can you can change clothes and such. I, I thought it would probably be uh, exciting for you as an actor. Can you explain how maybe that changes some dynamic in some way, maybe with one of the other characters now that you can actually interact? Uh, there was nothing that I missed about being a ghost. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. I like. I just want to say to everybody, I'm so happy that we can finally talk now because I feel like I was silenced for the last, uh, you know, year. Everybody got to talk about what was happening with their characters, and I wasn't allowed to talk about anything. So hi. <laughs> but yeah, there there was nothing that I missed about being a ghost. It was like you know I was as happy as Sally was to be alive and interacting with people physically, and and you know I was really missing out on a lot of things that everyone else got to do. So it was really, it really helped me to get back into her because I was feeling just as excited, as excited as she was. It's crazy. Like how much, you know, as characters, you, you appreciate it. And as an actress, I really appreciated being able to have that physical contact just because of who these characters are. It's funny because, you know, when I work on something else, of course you can touch people. That's just how it is. And um, I appreciate that sort of as an actress, but when I'm on being human, I appreciate it really for the characters because I know that, you know, they've been friends for so long and she hasn't been able to ever touch them or, you know, feel what they feel like or even know how cold or how hot they are physically. So I really, it sort of brings it to a new level for the characters, I think. I think that, you know, throughout the season, you'll start seeing some things with Aiden and Sally where, I mean, the writers are so smart the way that they did it. It's like there's a girl living in a house with two guys and it was never an option for a romantic chemistry. You know, I know a bunch of you are going to ask, is there anything that's going on with Sally and Aiden? I just know it. I just know that you guys are going to ask it. And I'll answer it right now. What they did is so smart because it's like we never had that option before because Sally was non-corporeal and, you know, it just wasn't going to happen. And they looked at her like a little sister and all of a sudden here she is human or as close to human as it's going to get. And all of a sudden it's sort of an option. It's like, Oh, we can do this. And it sort of reflects that situation in life. It's like you have a roommate that's a guy and your best friends and it never occurred to you before, but all of a sudden it's like, you're both single and it's like, huh, should we do this? Like, I guess we, we could do this. And, uh, you know, maybe you've drank a bit too much that night and, you know, all of a sudden it's just this weird moment between roommates. And uh, I think you're going to see a couple moments like that with Sally and Aiden this season. Okay. For our writers, one of their goals was to have the three of us together a lot more this season because I feel like we lost that a lot in season two just because of all the stuff we were going through separately. So there's definitely more scenes with the three of us. I think that our relationships have developed quite a bit. Yeah, the, the chemistry is, is still there, if not more than before, and, and it's almost changed in some way as we've grown up a bit. Um, really what's been the most challenging for me is kind of taking our, you know, these fantastical situations and making them personal for me. You know, it's it's always a challenge to relate what these characters are going through to our real lives. You know, for example, last season, it's like, how do I justify murdering 20 people and still, you know, remain likable in some way? So that's always been a challenge for me. This season was, was super difficult as well. It's like, okay, well, now I'm a reanimated corpse. So not only do I have to deal with the fact that I'm dead, but now I'm brought back from the dead. And what does that mean to me? And it's all very complicated. <laughs> And I got to ask half seriously, because I'm sure everybody, it comes up, uh, will your character crave brains? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, I cannot reveal that at this time, but uh, Hmm, it does get really, really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sally definitely does start to understand what exactly this deal is that Josh and Nora have made with the witch. And I think it's, it's really 
becomes about trial and error for her, trying to, um, as she sort of pushes her limits to what she can do as a reanimated corpse, she sort of pieces together what she really is and uh, what that deal entails. Stevie and Nick, you'll see what happens with them. I, a lot of people thought that, uh, I saw on Twitter, a lot of people are thinking that Stevie and Nick wake up in Sally's body with her. They don't. They wake up in their coffins. And so they're their own separate people. And that will be explained next episode. But um, just to clear that up for everybody. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I look forward to seeing the, the rest of season three. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the creator of Blood and Bone China. And you're listening to Genretainment. Well, thank you to the Sci-Fi Channel for giving us a chance to speak with Megan. We love the new direction of the show. And we can't wait to see what else they have in store for season three. I know we had a hard time getting into the show in the first season because of its similarities to the first series of the original British version, which we both love. Yes. And I think we can both agree, since they've taken it into its own path, it has become much, much more fun. Yes, it has. So, that's it for today's Genretainment. Check back next week with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Including Michael Flores, the creator of the weird Western series Western X. Now, we also hear rumors that the comic book writer Dirk Manning will be visiting us again soon to talk about his new book, Right or Wrong, that's right, W-R-I-T-E. And we have a number of other excellent guests that we just can't wait to share with you. And don't forget, you can check out all of our past episodes in the archives at scifipulseradio.com. You can also check out the other great shows on this channel, like Ian Collins' SFP Now, which typically airs on Fridays, and Jeff Trek on Saturdays. Plus, our new monthly show, The Roundtable, was a huge hit. So be sure to check that out in the archives. On that show, various hosts from the channel team up with a few special guests to discuss hot topics in our favorite genres. Genretainment will be right back here on this channel at scifipulseradio.com next Tuesday. And thank you so much for listening. Until, Until next, next time. time.